which is why we're here this morning, Father, is to, to come here and, and to be reminded of where we truly find rest. And uh, so we come and we sing songs of praise and worship to you, and we, we come to you and we offer these prayers to you, and, and we come to your word, because we know that that's truly where we find wisdom and guidance and direction to live our lives. And so, Father, we pray that as we come to your word now, that you would speak to us, um, to each one of us, that we would hear you clearly through your word, and that um, all of the possible things that could distract us, anxieties, fears, frustrations, to-do lists, anything that could hinder us from hearing what you have to say, that you would wipe that away, that you'd push that off to the background, and that you would speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us this morning. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we're looking at a couple um, familiar passages, and so if you have your Bibles with you, um, open them to Genesis 1. Um, if you don't, they are back in the chairs, and so you can look under the chair in front of you, and there will be a Bible there now. And so you can grab that Bible out as well and open it up to Genesis 1. And uh, we're going to look at a couple of passages that will become very familiar over the next few weeks. We're going to look at these passages a few times from, from different angles. And so the first one is Genesis 1, um, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in chapter 2, we read, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable, suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Um, there's a famous quote from a man named uh, St. Augustine. He said, um, in a prayer to God, he said, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, O God. Um, and it's a pretty profound statement. He said this back in the 4th century, so a long time ago. And, and at, not, it wasn't just that he was looking out over the world and saying, man, everybody out there is really restless until they find rest in God. He actually was looking at his own life and his own soul and realized that his life had been one of 
restlessness until he found rest in God. And I was thinking about that last weekend as I talked to my parents um, about my, my early childhood. And it's kind of funny, whenever I um, describe my early childhood to people, they always give me a weird look and say, did you grow up in a military family? I say, no, I grew up in a farming family. <laughs> because of how much we moved. And so by the time I was in fourth grade, we had moved from Minnesota to Alaska, back to Minnesota, to Montana, back to Minnesota, and to Montana again by the time I was in fourth grade, um, with numerous houses in between at each, in each state. Um, and so the first, uh, the first 10 years of my parents' marriage, um, they lived in 11 homes. But interestingly, the last 30 years of their marriage, they lived in four, and the last one being 22 and a half years. And you go, something changed. After 10 years, what changed? They found Christ. They became believers. And you look at the first 10 years of their life and you think their hearts were restless. They were seeking something that they couldn't find and they kept looking for it in all these different places. But once they found Christ, they found rest. And all of the crazy moving all over the place stopped. And uh, we see this restlessness in our society and our culture right now, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to me that you look out at the United States and we think we are living in the wealthiest, most luxurious, most comfortable society in the history of the world. And yet, we're full of anxiety and depression and meaninglessness and medications trying to fix all of that. And you go, why? Why is that? Well, because we're restless. We're, we're a society that's always seeking but never finding. On the outside, it looks like we have everything we could ever want. Or we could look at people and think, they've got everything I've ever wanted. But... On the inside, they know something's missing. They're not satisfied with what they have. They need something else, and there's this restlessness inside of them, always seeking for what they don't have. And that restlessness will be there until they find rest in God or in Christ. And the reason I start off that way is because that's there because we've been designed and created to be in relationship with God. Things don't work unless we're in relationship with God. And we see that right away at the beginning when we, when we read, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And, and then at the very end, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And just being created in the image of God means that we have this special connection with God that nothing else in all of creation has. And uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? That being created in the image of God means that our lives are to reflect the glory of God to the rest of the world, or we're God's representatives here on the earth. And you can't do that unless you're connected to God. You can't reflect his glory unless you know what his glory is and you're in this relationship with him. You can't be his representative on earth if you're not connected with God. And so 
if you're not connected to God, then you can't live out your meaning and your purpose in the world, and so you're restlessly searching for it all the time. You just can't find it until you're connected to God. And we see other passages that, that talk about this. We see First uh, Samuel 22. It says, The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. And actually, some translations just say, because it has pleased the Lord to make you for himself. That you were created for God. Um, we talked about that last week, too. It says, the body is made for the Lord. And so you're created to be there, connected to God. And if you're not connected to him, you don't have this relationship in him, something's missing. There, there's this restlessness that comes from it. And we even see that in this passage that um, has, it's fairly well known. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the question is, okay, Why? Why should everything we say and everything we do bring glory to God? Because that's what you were created for. (laughs) That's your meaning. That's your purpose in life is to do that. That's what it means to live in the image of God. And you can't do everything to the glory of God unless you're connected to him, unless you're related to him. And so, and unless we realize this and embrace it, you will live this restless existence, always looking but never finding. And unless we get this part right, um, nothing else works. Um, Unless we get this part right, the the water that flows from the stream is muddied for the rest of it. And so it's a first priority to have this relationship with God right and connected and vibrant. And so you see this. You see, you know, you can have all of the money in the world... But if there's no relationship with God, you will be restless, always seeking, never able to find. You can even have, you can have the best family, the best community, and no relationship with God, and you will be restless. I mean, which is why Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Not, I mean, that's all-encompassing. Nothing apart from him. And so if, if, you, if you neglect this relationship with God, then nothing works after that. You can't do anything. There, nothing else will be right. Everything will feel like the pieces aren't quite coming together. And there's this restlessness and this seeking but never finding. And yet Jesus says when you're attached to the vine, when you're in relationship with him and connected to him, then there's life and there's fruit and out of that flows this rest that comes no matter what the situation is really i mean obviously we're not perfect and so that rest gets but there's a restfulness to the christian that doesn't change by the external circumstances it's important to keep this all in mind when we talk about the next part of this um, because we we read this part where God said, okay, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him, right? And from that we learn that, well, simply, we're not created to be alone, right? We're created to be in relationship with other people. Um, 
So we're created two ways. We're created to be in relationship with God, and we're created to be in relationship for other people. And it's not good for us to be disconnected from other people and off on our own by ourselves. We weren't designed to work that way. And then there's this interesting part here, and I think it's important to remember. So God says it's not good that that man should be alone. And so it says, now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds and the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. And it reminds us that animals won't, can't take the place of people. They, they weren't good at it. They couldn't fill humanity. God said, I, Adam needs somebody, so let me have all of the animals parade in front of him. And Adam named them and, and saw all of them. And then at the end of it, God said, none of them fit the bill. They can't do it. I don't want to make this a main point, but I figure I should say it. Um, it's important for us to remember that, that pets are a good thing. Pets can provide some companionship, but they're not a human. They're not made in the image of God, and they won't fill the gap. Um, we weren't created that way. You know, dogs are a better companion than a cat, of course, but just sorry. Oh, I know, fighting words. I actually have somebody staying at my house. We just had that debate last night. But, um, but either way, even a good dog cannot replace humans. It just doesn't work. You weren't created to have only a dog as your best friend. You need people. God created you that way. And, and, and we're living the, in a world right now that's getting these things fuzzy. And, I, and that's why I wanted to say that. Because we live in a world where, where human life is be, being less valuable. And animal life is being raised up to be more valuable. And I'm saying we're Christians That's not the case. We're called to love and care for our animals and treat them well and have fun with them, but they are not a human. And they won't be able to fill your loneliness. You need people because we are created to be in community with other human beings. And we know this. It's kind of just at the core of our being. A few weeks ago, or um, I don't remember when, months ago, I mentioned the show um, Alone, right? This kind of survival television show where they send someone out in the woods alone to see how long they can survive all by themselves. And you go, why do they send them out alone? Because it's really, really hard to be alone for that long. And every one of those people talk about how really their biggest struggle wasn't necessarily the food, wasn't necessarily all of that. It was being alone for that long. That was the, the hard part. And, and if you think about it, what do we do in our culture when we want to punish someone severely. We put them in solitary confinement. We separate them from community. We separate them from other people. You go live alone, and that's almost hell. I wouldn't say hell, but it's almost for them, because we weren't created to live that way. And that's why this last year has been so hard, right? Because what has COVID done and all of the shutdowns and the lockdowns and the quarantines that just pushed us off out of community from one another? And we're like, no, we're not created to be this way. Even, even introverts don't want to be away from people that much. You have to be in community some way because that's how we've been created. 
And, and all of this connects with the image of God. One of the things that I think is really beautiful about God creating us and putting us in, into community is that that's actually designed to help make, be careful, make the image of God clearer and brighter in the world. Um, because God's this big, infinite being. And you say, how in the world could just a finite being like myself image God perfectly? Because he's so big and I'm so small. And God said, well, I'm going to put you in community with different gifts, different talents, different features, different everything. And each one of you ends up becoming a different kind of a brush stroke in the image of God to fill that out. And you're each, now hear me right, you're each fully made in the image of God. You're not a part of the image of God. And yet each of us fully in the image of God brings a different picture of God to the foreground. And, and Herman, Herman Bovink, you know I, I like him, he says, not the man alone, nor the man and the woman together, but the whole of humanity is the fully developed image of God. And so for you to become a Christian and to go off in the woods and say, I'm just going to be my own church. No. Um, Because the image of God isn't fully developed in that way. Or I'm going to go and be a part of a church where everybody's just like me. No. The image of God is... You're supposed to be in a church with a bunch of people who are very different from you because that brings out different aspects of God, different facets of his character as God's working in a bunch of imperfect people to show his perfect um, being to the world. Um, but there's always danger when we, when we begin to talk about living in community. And there's one book, I, I highly recommend it. Um, it's by a guy named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. It's called Life Together. I, th- I think I read it at least once a year, um, sometimes twice. I mean, he gives a warning in, in his book, and he says, Let him who cannot be alone beware of community, um, but let him who is not in community beware of being alone. And what he's trying to get at is we need to keep our priorities right when we understand community. We need to keep this relationship between God and relationship with other people in the right place. Because he said what, what can easily happen is if you can't handle being by yourself, and you always have to be around other people, and you just can't function unless you're around other people, what ends up happening is you make the community an idol. And you begin to trust the community to fulfill the needs that God is supposed to fulfill in you. You begin to trust the community to do what only God can do for you. And you begin to actually look to the community to ease your restlessness that only God can ease. Uh, But he says the other danger is just as dangerous. It's to try to just go off and be on your own then. Um, Because then what happens? If you go off on your own and you kind of neglect the community, he says, well, then you just make yourself an idol. And then you become a really big deal in your own eyes. And nobody's there to contradict you. So now you are the smartest person in the world. Um, But when you're in community, you realize quickly you are not the smartest person in the world and you don't know everything. And so it's a balance. You can't make community an idol, but you can't make your aloneness with God an idol either. These things are held in tension. And so let if you cannot be alone... He said, beware of community. Make sure you're able to handle being alone with God. But if you're never in community, then you should beware of being off on your own. And I just thought I'd take a moment to say this is kind of baked into the the mission of our congregation. One of the things that we just want to be as a church. I should probably talk about this more. 
Um, but I put it in the front of every one of our study booklets. And I'd encourage you when you open up your study booklet, just look at that sheet and kind of be reminded of who we are as a community. But one of the, the very first thing is that we are a community that's going to be worshiping the triune God. And we have that there first because that's the first priority. Priority one is that we're going to worship God. God and that's got to kind of overflow into everything and if we don't get this right as a church nothing will flow from it nothing good will come from it we'll be disconnected from the vine and we will do nothing and so that's the priority it doesn't matter how big our church is it doesn't matter how many programs we have if we're not worshiping God or in relationship with God nothing we do matters This is the core. But the very next thing we say is we are a community that's worshiping the triune God in community. Because we've been created for both. If we just come and worship God and we do that right, but we're not in community with one another, then we're not really living the way God has designed us to live or called us to live. So we need both of these things. We need to keep these in tension. And, and we need to do these not just on Sunday mornings. These things are like every day, every moment of every part of your life things. Worship is not just a Sunday morning thing. It's every moment of every single day, this connection and relationship with God. But so is community. The community here doesn't just happen for a couple hours on Sunday morning. It's carrying each other's burdens. It's encouraging one another. It's doing this. It's, it's laughing together, just being goofy and hanging out together. It's working side by side together. And it's doing that throughout the week, and it becomes part of our life. And yet we need to keep the, both of these in, in their proper place. Um, Jesus said this, right? We know this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And you see this again, connection to God, relationship with God, relationship with other people. But Jesus says what? The first commandment, love God. Be connected with me. Be in relationship with me. The second commandment is like it, but not it. Love your neighbor. Be in relationship. Be in community. And, and I emphasize this just because it, we can't get these backwards, and there's a strong temptation in us to get these backwards. I think um, I, 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 there's this temptation right now to sacrifice our relationship with God in the name of community and relationship. Or to kind of change how we view God and understand God in the name of relationship and community. And, and Jesus says, you can't do that. The first commandment is love me. Right? You get disconnected from me, you have nothing. The second commandment is love your neighbor and be in community with them. And so we can't sacrifice our relationship with God in the name of community. Um, Because what Jesus says is actually when we sacrifice the relationship of God for community, you lose both. Um, You lose both of them if you do that. Rather, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added to you. Everything else somehow falls in place when we make sure... Our relationship with God is there. And, and as I was thinking about all of this, I thought there, there's one line I've told you that's probably the most repeated line in Scripture. It's where God says, you will be my people and I will be your God, right? Or sometimes it says, I will be your God, you will be my people. And what do you see there again? Relationship with God, relationship with other people. I will be your God. You will be connected to me in relationship 
and you will be not my individuals. You will be my people. You'll be a community together in the world. And it's important to know that when Jesus came to the earth and he lived and he died for the forgiveness of our sins, he did that to restore us into community. He did that to restore our relationship with God, but he did that also to restore us into community with one another. It wasn't just to save a bunch of individuals. And you see that at Pentecost, right? We see the Holy Spirit falls. Peter steps out filled with the Spirit, speaks to this huge crowd, and the Spirit falls on them. And it says, in that day there were added 3,000 people from all over the world, right? They're from all different countries. They spoke all different languages. And they all came. Peter preached. They believed. And then they went off home and did whatever they wanted to do, right? No. They formed a community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So immediately part of being saved is this forming of a community because that's how we've been created, to live in community, to be saved into this community. Um, but here's the, here's the interesting thing, right? We're, we're created to be in community. It's part of our hardwiring. And then we get into a community, and what do we realize right away? There are people here who just do things that I don't like and say things that I don't like, and maybe the community is not as great as it should be. And we struggle, right? Because we're a bunch of sinners who are struggling with sin and messed up things happen in churches and, and we can start to get frustrated and angry and grumble and be like, well, this, this isn't... You know, we read this passage in Acts and we say, look how beautiful that was. That's not what my church looks like. And we start grumbling and, and complaining about it. And I've got two quotes from Bon. I usually don't use this many quotes, but these are just gold. Um, and so I have to share these by Bonhoeffer. The first one's a rebuke. He says, he who loves his dream of a community more than the community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, of the community, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Um, That we can get into a community and have this ideal of what it should be and then look around and go, well, the community doesn't measure up to what I think it should be. And he said, if you do that and you're always complaining about what... You're measuring against who you think they should be. He said, you're going to destroy the community. Because you've not been called to love your idea of the community. You're called to love this community in which God has placed you. And these people with their messes and their mistakes and all of that. You're called to love them, not your dream. And then he says this, which I find helpful. He says, if we do not give thanks daily... For the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, not the one we get to choose, the one God put us in, even when there's no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty. And if on the contrary, we just keep complaining to God that everything's so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us in Jesus Christ. It's powerful. 
We're not called. He, he goes on, he says, God didn't put you in community to whine about it. <laughs> he put you in community because you were created for it, to be thankful for the community in which he puts you. And it may not be real great. I shouldn't say, well, I'll say it. Neither are you, right? I mean, we just have to realize uh, the, the community is not great. Well, I'm not either. I'm not all that I think I'm cracked up to be. So stop complaining and enjoy the community that God has given you. And so we see this in when, when Christ came and brought salvation. He saved us to these two things. And, and it's important to remember that you can't have either apart from Christ. Not true. Apart from Christ, you don't have a relationship with God. Apart from Christ, you don't even have a community. Um, We read this in Ephesians. He says, you know, you used to be separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That's the community of Israel. You're alienated from them. You're strangers to the covenant of the promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. um, Apart from Christ. Think about that. That's a bleak picture. Apart from Christ, you had no hope in the world. You had no community in the world and you had no God. And yet he goes on and he says, but in Christ, he came to the world, he lived, he died, he rose again so that you could have your relationship with other people restored. You could truly live in community, but more importantly, really, is so that your relationship with God could be restored. That, that separation between you and God was wiped away along with the sin that Christ cleansed. Now you're, you're tight to God in relationship. You're in his presence. And since you're in his presence, you're no longer restless. You're no longer seeking for that thing you've never, you can't find because now you have found it. It's here. It's not perfect. We have to grow in it, but there's a rest because now you have found your God, the one that created you. And that rest we have now, and that rest will grow, and that rest is actually the description of eternity. All of eternity will be this resting in God. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the way that you've created the world. You know, we look at the world and we see all the mess and we know that that's a result of sin, that's a result of humanity, and and yet you haven't given up on us. You haven't wiped us out, walked away, but you continue to show grace and mercy and continue to redeem us, and we give you thanks for your mercy in the world, but also your mercy in our own lives, Father. We know that even though you've created us to be in relationship with you, in relationship with other people, we, we don't always. We, we focus on ourselves and separate ourselves from you or separate ourselves from other people. And Father, we ask your forgiveness for that. And we pray that not only you would forgive us, but you would work in our hearts and, and shape us and mold us so that we would be connected with you deeply, but also connected with your people. And uh, Lord, we, we come to you, we confess that we can complain and be bitter about the community in which you've placed us, and we're sorry for that, Lord, because um, we're not perfect either. And we give you thanks for giving us people to surround us, and we pray that you would continue to grow us as your people into a community that brings glory and honor to you, that that brings your image out into the world. And so shape us, Lord. Stir hearts of thankfulness and gratefulness in us for the community in which you've placed us, but also use us in this community to to build each other up in love. And that we'd grow to become more like you. 
and that we would be your people and bear your glory out in the world so that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done. And all God's people said, amen.